Welcome. You found the People of Chattanooga podcast. I'm your host, Luke Swab. Today on the show, I have Mark Baldwin. Mark is a crazy guy who has lived a very unique life. When he was young, he was a popular DJ in the Caribbean islands. Some of those islands were dangerous, and he had a personal bodyguard at times. In fact, one summer, a DJ was murdered, and Mark was crazy enough to take over the vacant position. Mark is also a break dancer, a sailor, an outdoor enthusiast, and he just returned home from a month-long trip out west with his son in his van. He has worked at the Kennedy Space Center, and he also started L2 Paddleboards right here in town. The show is wild as we jump all over the place learning about his life of adventure. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Mark Baldwin. Okay, and we are live. I'm sitting here with Mark Baldwin. How are you doing this morning, Mark? Awesome. How are you doing? Great. Um, so I've never met you before, so this is our first conversation. This is fantastic. Um, I saw you pull up in a Dodge, no. Mercedes. Mercedes. You know, a Sprinter van. <laughs> you remember, so you probably know the history, because um, it started as a Dodge Sprinter, if I'm Am I mistaken? And then it's—I don't know. Maybe made by Mercedes, or shoot, they were like the first European van that came over to America, fifteen years or so. Was well, wasn't it Westphalia that was the first one? Westphalia, I guess BW? so. You're right, but that modern, tall, skinnier style that replaced like the Chevy Express and mm-hmm. all those other old conversion vans. Mm-hmm. I think it was Dodge Sprinter, then it switched to Fiat. No, I think it started as Fiat Sprinter, then Dodge Sprinter, and then back to Mercedes. Anyway, that's a tangent. I'm sorry. No problem. I love it. Um, yeah, so let's talk about this van that you have. Mm-hmm. What is it? Um, so it's a, a Mercedes Sprinter, the longest, the tallest, and it's four-wheel drive. Um. So I got it. Um, I got into digging vans. I had a uh, when I had L two. Um, one of the board reps showed up in a Sprinter van, and he was living in it. And I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool." And then um, he ended up uh, getting involved with my uh, shop manager, and she went on the road with him. And he got a uh, he got a military vehicle. It was four wheel drive. Had two dually wheel sets in the back and then he put a camper van on it and their youtube is like uh, not youtube well i think they are youtube and instagram is like two overland um they were on the road for like two years so i look at her facebook and instagram about once a week or every two weeks and just made me sick so (laughs) is is that this is that rig on signal mountain at that gas station no they're they moved after they were done, they sold it and they built another one, and then they built a house in Alaska, and they're living in Alaska right now. Okay, I was on a bike ride and I, I saw similar to what you're describing at that um, Delhi gas station on top of Lookout, on top of Lookout Mountain. Um, so you went with the four wheel drive. Um, did you build it yourself? What's yep. the build out like? Yeah, so I got a queen bed in the back. Um, I got a kitchen with a propane and sink. I haven't plumbed up the sink yet. Um, I've got a dining room table, a little dinette table that drops down to another bed. Um, that's about it. And is this your daily driver? Yes. Um, how hard is it to use it as a daily driver? Oh, it's a piece of cake. No problem? No, you get used to it. What about parking and Whole Foods? How difficult 
uh, Whole Foods, Poland, go to the left. Yeah. Park over there. Um, parking's been a breeze. Um, I used to drive a lot. I used to have FJs, so I had. Mm. I drove a lot for my other business, so I have 350,000 miles on each FJ that I had. And yeah. So driving's not... It's not difficult. FJ Cruiser, the mm-hmm. Toyota? Yeah. Are those known for being hard to park? Uh, a lot of blind spots. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this is much easier with the camera and everything else. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, did you uh, enjoy building it out yourself? Yeah, I did. I did it with my... I have 20, 21-year-old son, and it's kind of like a father-son project. That's cool. Yeah. Really nice. Um, have you done any long trips with this? We just got back. Well, tell me about that. So um, I've been bugging my son to, he's, he's in college. He's a between sophomore and junior. And uh, I've been bugging him to like take a semester off or a year off, go to Europe, go to Caribbean, do something fun before you graduate and get somebody pregnant and have a bunch of kids. So I mm-hmm. wanted him to enjoy life. So um, <laughs> COVID hit and uh, they went online for UTC and he's like, dad, I'm not going to do this online stuff. He says, let's just go get in the van and go somewhere. So we, we spent the last month out West. I'm um, having a great time. Where, where all did you go? Oh, geez. Let's do this. Uh, so we started off in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, because those Walmart kids are supposed to have spent a lot of money on mountain bike trails. So we <laughs> like to mountain bike, road bike, hike, and we do everything. Um, so we went there for a few days, um, met this crazy guy named Cooper, um, he pulled up on a van next to us, one of those rebels that we were talking about. Yeah. And, uh, he's like, these are the places you, I've been out West for three months. These are the places you need to go. So we wrote down some places, you know, we had a general idea where we wanted to go, but then he threw in some more, um, that were really, really cool. I'm glad we did them. Um, so from there we went to Badlands, um, from Badlands, we went to, um, Yellowstone, Grand Tetons, um, and then we went to Glacier. Uh, Glacier is really cool. Oh, my gosh. We did that Road to the Sun. Have you done that? Yeah, I have. Yeah, that's... I've been lucky. I did that on a motorcycle. Oh, that's very cool. I just want to do it on a road bike next time I go. Yeah. Um, do you know what the elevation is in the length? It's not bad. It's 6,000. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like the Smokies. It's like going riding a Klingman's. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's not... Well, it's like 18 miles, I think. Oh, that's not bad. No. No. So, uh, so yeah, we did that and really enjoyed that. And, uh, one of the places that, um, that Cooper told us to go, he said, you got to go to Idaho if you're going to be out there. And I was like, what's in Idaho? He said, just go. So then I called my, um, my friend that was van lifing for two years. And she I said, what do you think about Idaho? She said, oh, you got to go. And I was like, okay, all right. So where do I got to go? She said, well, there's these cool hot springs, um, swing and bridge hot springs in, uh, in Idaho, so we Googled it, and we hightailed it there. We got there about 4.30 in the afternoon. We go across this swinging bridge down this path about a mile and a half, and right next to the river are these little hot spring jacuzzis. Um, and the the forest there is kind of like Pacific Northwest, so it's um, really super green and lush. It's almost like being in a rainforest. And um, so we did that. We plopped down in there and, you know, it's like, you know, this is not too bad, you know. Was it um was it like uh hot springs going into a cold river where uh-huh. they converge? Yep. And then there was some kind of rocks that people kind of set up uh-huh. to kind of okay. And I didn't know things like that existed. And it was like it was so and there's different ones. There were some were really hot and right. some were kind of medium and some were 
Um, so we were just sitting there wishing we had our women with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it kind of stinky from the... A little bit of sulfur smell, but not bad at all. Yeah. Um, no, it wasn't bad at all. The, um, when you were in Yellowstone, did you drive by the north entrance which goes into Montana, has um, hot springs like that. Mm-hmm. It's called the Boiling River. Did you stop stop you there? We did not. We drove through there, but we did not stop. Yeah. That's the only time I've ever experienced uh, hot springs like that. It's really cool. Oh, it's very cool. I, um, so then they told us to go to, Cooper told us to go to Ketchum. So there's some great mountain biking there. Um, so we went to Ketchum. You know, the aspens were turning, so everything was really golden, and it was like the perfect time of year. It was like 65 during the day, so we rode there for a few days. Um, so then we Googled hot springs, and we found a hot spring <laughs> uh, that was about 10 miles away from our mountain bike spot. So after we got done, we, you know, we cracked a top and hopped down in the hot spring, and it wasn't too bad. Could you um, could you park right there at that Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was like, you know, 50 yards and these are all like the public ones. They also have, I mean, there's so many out there. They have like secret. Well, I don't ones. like the ones that, you know, like up at Hot Springs in Asheville where they take the hot water and they put it in a jacuzzi. I mean, this was, this experience was 10 times better than that. Right. Right. You know. Um, so after there, where do we go? Moab. Ah. Uh, um, is that where the four wheel drive came in handy? Yes. So there is a four wheel drive trail that's. 35, maybe 40 miles long. Mm-hmm. It comes out of the back of uh, uh, Canyonlands National Park and goes down to Moab. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I highly recommend it for anybody. It is, I mean, it takes like four or five hours, um, but it is, it's, it's amazing. Is that the road where you start high and you just do all these switchbacks and then yeah, I want to do it on a mountain bike. And my yeah. son's like, no, we've been mountain biking a lot. Let's not, let's not do it on the mountain bike. So we, we, it was great. I mean, we, we pulled over and had lunch and played chess for a little bit and hopped back in. And, um, but yeah, if anybody's out there to do that road, you guys were probably the only people playing chess that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we were. Are, are you an avid chess player? No, we just, you know, um, we're in a lot of places. Um, we camped on a lot of um, BLM land. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I text my wife and said, we've got a great BLM campsite. And she says, why are you on a Black Lives Matter campsite? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, it's a Bureau of Land Management. So, um, uh, Well, people so, from out east don't really know about BLM. Yeah, land. no, they don't. Yeah, I only learned about it when I went out there. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't either. And um, I was out there last year and found out about it. Um, so, so after, oh, the chess, no, I'm not an avid chess player, but we're in a lot of places that didn't have self-service. Yeah. So, you know, I've spent years since I played cards with my son or played chess or, so it just, it was a really good, good time. What other kind of stuff do you do, um, when you're doing the van life stuff, uh, once, once you get to a spot, you know, you're going to have some down, downtime. You're not always going to be mountain biking and stuff. What else do you do to stay entertained? Mm. you read much or no i didn't read much i mean if we had some self-service i'm like well actually we listen to a lot of sports so mm. we could i got a it's got serious on it so i could listen to the world series and football and and then we just sat around and talk and but we were pretty much we were on the go a lot too yeah yeah well you i mean you said you did a month that's so far that's a lot to do in a month mm-hmm. how long are you usually staying at a location 
Can you it just... depends if we like it. You know, we'll stay a day or two or maybe three. Um, you know, like I wish we'd stayed another day and catch them. Um, but we would, you know, we were moving pretty, pretty well. Yeah. Um, so we saw arches while we were in Moab and, you know, he, he wanted to do slick rock trail and I did that last year. And, um, so what's slick rock trail? I don't know that one. It's like a, it's like a famous mountain bike trail. Um, the sandstone out there, you can climb easy. I mean, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And it's it's cool, um, and there's a lot of four wheel. There's another section where the four wheelers, four wheel drive guys do it. But yeah, yeah, YouTube it when you get a chance. Yeah, I'll um, check it out. And then after that, where did we go? Zion. Zion. Um, did the canyon? Did the hike in the canyon? Um, is that the Antelope Canyon or is that something else? That's something else. Okay. Um, Forget what it's called. It's it's famous, but if you haven't been, Luke, I have not. Go. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done much out west. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and you know that lady was out there at that time, and they were looking for her. Um, you know they had posters everywhere, but you know it's just a big canyon. I don't really, I don't, I can't understand how she got lost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's packed. There's like thousands of people doing this hike. Um, so I did it. I did it last year, and you know it was so beautiful. And, you know, you're walking through this river and, you know, you get, get special shoes and, um, um, and they give you a stick and they give you waders cause the water's kind of cold and it gets up to your waist at, at certain points. Um, but it was so beautiful. I just hiked and hiked and hiked. So I probably hiked maybe seven hours out and back. Um, and you're always walking on rocks. So I got back and, um, was about to get out to pump gas and I couldn't walk, <laughs> I like torched all the ligaments and, and muscles in my legs. And it, and it was like, Oh, this is painful. <laughs> um, so instead of doing BLM that night, I, I got a hotel and just chilled. <laughs> it was how many nights did you do hotels? Um, so we were gone a month. We did two hotels and two campgrounds. So does that mean four showers in a month? No, there's an app that you can get. Okay. Um, It'll tell you like where's a good BLM spot, where's the showers that are cheap, where you can get free water. Um, so we and for lodging for a month, we probably didn't spend three hundred dollars. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so after Zion, we went to Durang- Durango. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we went to Cortez. Um, there's a place called Phil's World. Um, if you YouTube that, that's a lot of fun. It's it's like a famous mountain bike spot. It's like a roller coaster. You don't even have to pedal on the front section. It's just, have you been to Baker Creek? No. No. Mm-mm. It's up in Knoxville. Um, but it's it's super, super fun. Is it downhill flowy with jumps? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, it's the climb's not bad, um, but the flowy downhill stuff is, is sweet. I would stay away from the back section. It's really, really rocky, not a lot of fun. But the front section is, you'll walk away with a big smile on your face. Um, and then, then we went to Durango, um, to hang out. We really like Durango. That's a very cool town. Um, I can see the comparisons between Chattanooga and Durango. Um, cool people, a lot of stuff going on. Um, so, you know, we were at, we were at a bar and, uh, and Durango and bartender said, yeah, I watched up in smoke, um, on, uh, 
on Netflix the other day. And he said, it's, it still holds up. And uh, I was like, oh, really? I said, son, have you seen Up in Smoke? And he's like, no, what's that? I was like, oh, okay. Um, that's what we'll do tonight. We'll watch, we'll watch Up in Smoke. So we, we camped at the Walmart there, so we had signal and, and you know, father and son watching, watching a good movie. That's great. Yeah. So we hung out there for a few days, and then we went to Crested Butte, um, did the 401 there. Um, it's a beautiful trail with, uh, you climb up to about almost 12,000 feet. Um, well, you climb, you hike, you stop, you walk, you, um, not a lot of oxygen up there. So 12,000 is pretty high. Yeah. Um, and we're from sea level. So, you know, it it was, um, so we get to the top of that. And my son's rear brake's not working, so he has to go back down the fire road as opposed to doing the valley, the real nice downhill. Um, and uh, so we, I get to the bottom. I was like, that's great. You got, I'll, I'll take you to the top in the van tomorrow, and then you can take ride it down. And um, he said, okay. So that night, um, my little one was supposed to come out. You know, I was going to fly back and get him. He's 10. Um, and bring him out there and he was going to spend the last two weeks with us, but, uh, his mom kind of put the kibosh on that. So, um, so I'd send him a postcard every day or call him and, you know, um, and then one, like the day after the 401 trail, I got a call from him and, you know, I, I asked him, I was like, did you get your postcard? He's like, yeah, whatever. I was like, do you read it? And he's like, ah, you can read it when you get back. And I was like, well, I miss you, you know, I miss you. And then he calls up and he's like, daddy, I I miss you. You didn't come home. So, Mm -hmm. so I got my, I told my oldest son, I said, okay, you knew the 401 at six o'clock in the morning. And then we're driving all the way back home to surprise your brother. So that's what we did. We did that and drove like 24 hours straight to, wow. And surprised him. So that was our month. Do do you, um, you let your older son drive the rig? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, He doesn't like, I can tell when he's getting a little, antsy you know when he's had enough mm-hmm. um but yeah he's a great he's a great driver um it was funny when we were doing that 24 hour um ride back he was uh he was driving through colorado and he was going too fast and you know state trooper pulled around got him you know i think this is his first ticket oh um so he's real nervous he's getting the registration and everything out and uh and the state trooper asked, you know, he said, like, okay, I'm going to go back and get your ticket. And I look over at him. I said, you should have told him the license is on the back of the car, man. <laughs> That's the line from Up in Smoke. <laughs> I, I haven't seen Up in Smoke. Oh, you haven't? Either. Oh, you got to check it out. <laughs> no, I try not to. I don't know that one either. No. Um, so that was it. It was a wonderful month. It, you know, I thought it would either we'd either hate each other or grow closer. And I think we definitely grew closer. Were there some um, uncomfortable hating each other times or not? Not really. That's good. Um, he's pretty laid back and you know, we usually do a lot of stuff together, so it was good. Now, do you cook much inside the van? Yeah. My propane had a little leak. So I was using stoves and, mm-hmm. and, uh, outside the van. So yeah, we cooked, we cooked a lot. Yeah. And you have a fridge? No, we use cooler. Cooler. cooler I haven't nice. wired the van yet. I'm gonna. That's probably gonna be a project in the next few months. Mm-hmm. I've got all the wires run. I just haven't put in the control units, inverters, that kind of stuff. Is it insulated? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, do you have one of those uh, rooftop vents? 
I haven't put that in yet. I've, I purchased it, but I'm just waiting to get the wiring battery stuff in there. How How is it without the vent? Oh, it's great. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I've, that seems like it's the first thing everyone does to the van. They cut the hole in it, put the fantastic fan in. Well, I didn't... Well, I didn't want to because we we're going to be out west and it was going to be cold. Yeah. So I didn't want to cut that hole in there and have an area where it it could be coming in cool. So we just left it off and I'll put it in when it starts warming up a little bit. Yeah. And and you told me earlier um, it got down to 27 degrees and you don't even have a, a heater in there Mm-mm. and, and it, you were fine. It did great. Do you have anything to cover the windows? I have No. I have some screens that I put up when it's hot so yeah. the bugs don't come in. Yeah. And I just roll down the windows and it keeps the bugs out. But other than that, no. Now, um, so your son was able to get a month off because he's taken a semester off for college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you get a month off? Um, I sold my company um, at the end of 2000, right, right at the end of 2019. <laughs> my 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 partners asked me if I wanted to sell my share of the company, and it seemed like a good opportunity. So, and so, let's, what company was this? Um, Southern Fluid Power. We're um, we work with a lot of industries in and around Middle and East Tennessee. So, if you want to know how something's made of any place you've ever drove by, you ask me because I've been in there. Okay, um, helping them either you know figuring out why a machine's not working or trying to figure out how to machine, get a machine to go faster. So we're a fluid powerhouse so that deals with pneumatics, which is air and hydraulics, which is hydraulic fluid. Um, so anything that was powered by that. And we also did some vision stuff and some sensors and some robots. Um, so, you know, I'd work with, work with Volkswagen all the time, work with um, Alcoa uh, up in Knoxville, which is called Arconic now. Um, I've always, we didn't have that territory in Knoxville and I'd go up and do road bike races and stuff up there and I'd pass that big old massive facility and I was like, man, that'd be so cool to go into and check it out. So, you know, one of the companies reached out to us, said, we don't have anybody in Knoxville that can handle that account. I said, Mark, would you go up there and take care of it? And so, yeah, it's very, very cool. How did you uh, start this company? how did you get into that? So I, um... I started a business with my father. It was a framed art business. Um, and, you know, out of college, I, you know, I had an opportunity to go to Stanford or University of Chicago for my MBA. And, um, and so I decided to go and stay in the family business and help him out and grow it. So we grew it pretty well. And then he married somebody I didn't get along with. So I was like, I reached out to UTC and Chattanooga State for their placement programs and they pretty much stunk. So I was like, well, I used to be a bartender. It's like, I'm going to go bartend. Hmm. So Jay Alexander's was just opening up, you know, um, I went in there and you're like, well, so you've bartended in St. John. I was like, yeah. I was like, mm, St. Thomas. It's like, yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm a pretty good bartender. And it's like, Oh, cool. It's like, you're our head bartender. So I was the first head bartender at Jay Alexander's when they opened up and when you I, say St. John, St. Thomas, are you talking about the islands in the mm-hmm. Caribbean? Yeah. Okay. Um, Not the St. John's restaurant. No. Yeah. No. Um, so I found a job in an advertising agency in, uh, in Atlanta, and I told one of my customers, Don Davidson. I was like, Don, I'm out of here. I've got a job in Atlanta. 
He's like, no, you're not. <laughs> he said, you're going to be my pneumatic specialist. And I said, what the hell is a pneumatic specialist? He said, just come by my office. So went by his office, did some research on the company. They were selling, you know, working for a Fortune 500 company. Um, it was a good gig, and I was really good at it. So his son had tried to buy the company from his dad for a while, and he couldn't. His the partners he selected weren't weren't bringing in enough, I guess. And uh, he asked me to and another guy to to buy the company. So we did, and uh, we did really well. Hmm. How old are you about that around that time? When we bought the company, probably forty three. Forty-three. Uh huh. Was that your first business? No, I had a DJ business. Um, had the Baldwin Art business, and that was probably the third one. Okay. Yeah. So you did that for twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you just sold out your sh- share. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let's rewind here. Um, what's the DJ business that you had? So when I was um. Um, in high school, uh, there was a place, um, breakdancing first came out. Okay. So I, I liked it. So I became a pretty good breakdancer. Um, and, uh, do you still have moves? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, my kids <laughs> bug me to, you know, do stuff. I'm not as limber as I used to be, but I could teach them to moonwalk and, you know, spin, pop and stuff like that. Spin on your back. Yeah. I don't spin on my back anymore. Okay. I can teach them how, Yeah. you know, um, so you must be a hit at weddings. Uh, maybe back in the day, okay. but yeah, I don't break dance that much anymore. Um, so I went to, uh, started, I got accepted to Georgia tech when I got out of high school and I went down to Atlanta and they're, you know, I was looking for money and they were, uh, hiring break dancers at clubs, you know, before people started dancing, they'd have some dancers and, um, so I got a job doing that and, and, uh, you know, one of the girls that I was, uh, um, dancing with, she was like a doll. I'm a big Dolphins fan cause I'm from South Florida and she was an ex Dolphins cheerleader. And so, you know, after work, she's like, Hey, you don't want to go have breakfast? Or I was like, yeah, that'd be good. You know? So, um, so it's going to be a long story, but anyway, the, um, so that wasn't conducive to a Georgia tech education. So I flunked out of Georgia tech pretty quick. <laughs> um, and I went to, uh, to Florida and I did the, kind of did the same thing, been started dancing there. And then during my breaks, I go up to the DJ booth and, you know, look at what they're doing. I was like, well, can I, can I do that? I was like, sure. Let me show you. So they showed me and they, um, let me go to a smaller club to, to work on like Monday and Tuesday nights and happy hours. So I started DJing there, got pretty good at it. And then they moved me to Friday and Saturdays and, um, Got got good at DJing. Um, so how good how good did you get? Um, well, at one point, um, there was a company called the Dixie Dance Kings. They're in the southeast, and they pick out the best DJs in the southeast. And when you're a member of the Dixie Dance Kings, then they send you the record company sends you records directly, so you'll play them. Hmm. Um, so you know. So I, I was, I was getting pretty good, you know? Um, so the cool thing about it is, is anywhere I go, I could, I probably knew the DJ there. So if I go to Panama city or Atlanta or, or wherever I could usually get in the booth and spend a little bit. Yeah. Cause the, the DJ world is that 
close, close or yeah. small. Yeah. yeah. There's only, there may have been in the Southeast, maybe 15 guys. Really? Running mm-hmm. the whole Southeast? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, would you, did you get to keep the records that they were Oh selling? yeah. And I hate that I got rid of them. Yeah. I was going to say like, how many records do you have? You know? <laughs> I, had, I had thousands. Yeah. I mean, I probably get 30 a week. Wow. And um, that was a long time ago. So some of those might've been worth a lot of money right now. Yeah. So I were, uh, worked. So when I came back here, um, I started working at a, at a place called Michael's on Brainerd road, um, part time. And then there was a place called uh, Kicks that opened up in the Marriott downtown, um, and the uh, the guy I went to work for had a DJ agency, so he had contracts everywhere, you know, a lot of places. So I worked for him, and you know, we it was funny. The first I'm used to, you know, being a DJ, and and I get this job, and I show up at Kicks, and he opens up this box of uh, this wooden box. And I looked down, I was like, Ed, these are 45s. <laughs> it's like, I'm a DJ. I don't spend 45s. <laughs> what are 45s? I, I don't know. Oh, they're a small the record. small one. Yeah, yeah it's not okay. like, we're used to doing 12-inch records. Yeah. Um, so you can scratch and mix and, and I'll do all that stuff. Um, but a 45 doesn't have a, like an intro on it, so you can mix it together. You, I mean, usually an extended play has some beats in there that you can catch up and move and match the beats up and keep the dance floor going. So they mm-hmm. don't know when a song's going on or going off or anything. Um, so, um, so that's kind of became a DJ. So like around March or something, he's like, Hey Mark, I think I have a opening at in St. Martin this summer. Do you want to go? I was like, well, yeah, I'm not going to be in school. I was like, I could probably fit St. Martin in. <laughs> and, um, so, uh, I went down there and, you know, it didn't have internet then, um, you know, the radio was so, so, so when I bring all this fresh music down there, they went crazy. Yeah. It was, we had a great time at St. Martin. Um, so I, I DJ there. I love that. I love that Island. Um, really good people. Um, funny story. They, um, they said, Hey Mark, we're going over to, uh, Orient beach Sunday. We usually have like a little party and, um, do you want to come? I was like, yeah, I'd love that. So I get over there. I get there and I find out Royan Beach is a nude beach. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. And I'm an American. I'm Europeans over there because St. Martin is half Dutch and half French. Um, so anyway, so I kept my shorts on. There's another <laughs> American guy that kept his shorts on. Um, but these French women, oh my goodness, they bring all these pastries and and food. And we'd sit out there and drink Heineken's all day. And, and just, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, I really dig St. Martin. Yeah. So, um, so DJ there and then St. Martin's really cool. I mean, people there are really friendly, but St. Thomas is back in the day was the highest murder rate per capita of anywhere in the United States. I did not know that. So it was, it was rough. Um, so while I was DJing in St. Martin, um, we got the news that the DJ that was over there and his girlfriend were killed. Uh, the Rastas set the house on fire that they were in and killed them. Can you explain um, who the Rasta is? So like on those islands, they have um, not so much Rastafarians, but that's what they just call them. Um, you know, they were, they were native people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was like what they called the Frenchies, which were the, 
Um, the people lived on the other side of the island. Um, they were typically white. Um, so they just clashed all the time. Um, and, uh, so, you know, after a few weeks I was asked to go to St. Thomas, um, and take over, um, for the, for the murdered yeah. other DJ. So I was like, okay, but you're going to put me in a cool spot. You know, you can put me in a nice hotel with guards and, He's like, yeah, 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 we can do that. So went over to St. Thomas. Um, it was, you know, I walked in the club and doorman's there. I was talking to some of the bartenders. He said, see that doorman? I was like, yeah. She said, that's Sonny. He's like, okay. He looked kind of like Mr. T, black guy, gold teeth, lots of chains. Mm-hmm. Super sweet guy. Super sweet. He's like, yeah, he's killed 22 people. Always lived on the island. And I was like, okay, but he's going to take care of you. Trust me. I was like, okay. Um, Did that make you feel better? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there was a couple nights, you know, when we would be walking out of a club after after work or something, there'd be some, like, some automatic weapon fire go right over our head. Uh, You know, it'd, like, strafe the car we were beside. And you're like, you know, it was was very interesting. One night we were coming home. We lived on the fourth floor of the hotel. And you always, always hung out with the band to stay in groups. So you're safe. And uh, this guy pulled a knife out on us on the fourth floor. You know, it's supposed to have security, but he got through somehow. So one of the guys in the band knew martial arts. So he picked him up and threw him off the fourth floor. Dude bounced and walked away. And it was like, holy cow. So wow. he's going to have a rough morning tomorrow morning. That sounds almost impossible. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> I guess if you have enough stuff in your system, you're kind of bulletproof. Yeah. Wow. For time scale, like how about how old were you during this area of Probably the early twenties? Early twenties, mm-hmm. just living a wild life. Um, wow, it was uh, yeah, it was fun. And then, um, you know, I got to teach. You know, one of the Dutch girls when I was in St. Martin, she's like, "Mark, what are you doing during the day?" I was like, "Nothing really, just hanging out." She said, "Well, come out and teach snorkeling with us. We got cruise ship people, so I'd go out and." Out and teach people how to snorkel during the day and it was just beautiful we go out to a deserted island and it was very cool and then um and i had opportunity to work it on saint john which is a beautiful island um i go out there during the day and bartend um and come back and and dj at night and um, i did that for for two years i went down to to the caribbean in the summers in the summers yeah was it good money yeah it was yeah yeah i made enough to pay for my college or at least half my college when I got back. Um, but the benefits were just, I mean, they were awesome. I got to go, you know, the, the scuba instructors would say, Hey Mark, you want to learn how to scuba dive? And I was like, yeah, let's go. You know, they teach me how to scuba dive. And I was in St. Martin one time and, uh, there were some guys that were practicing for America's cup there, the sailboat race. And, uh, they said, Hey Mark, you know, you want to come out on the boat with us? I said, sure. So we went out on Canada too and did some play racing, which was awesome. Um, I dated a girl that was, uh, she was first mate on a catamaran, 50 footer. And, you know, she'd come knock on my door at eight o'clock in the morning. Hey Mark, you want to go out today? I was like, sure. So I, you know, I had to sleep for three or four hours. So I'd get out on that big net and she'd bring me breakfast and I'd go back to sleep and we'd wake up and be on a different Island. And it was I pushed through. Yeah, you pushed through. <laughs> um, why didn't you go back for a third summer? So at that point, um, I was really focused on school. I really wanted to, to, you know, I did really well in school. And there were colleges down there that really stink. Um, 
and it was there wasn't much of a future down there I mean it was a lot of fun it was beautiful but I was pretty focused on getting my degree and getting a good job yeah that makes sense yeah are are you from Chattanooga so I grew up in um in South Florida um in the Tampa area and then um you know I was really you know really poor I'm growing up single mother um she passed when I was 12 years old so my dad was living in rising fawn georgia um so we came up here um and it was it was truly shocking luke (laughs) to go from a a really integrated school um cuban black everything down there and then come up to uh, northwest georgia high school um there was only like one black person in the whole school yeah um I was driving through downtown Trenton and there was a sign that said that they were going to have a Klan rally in the middle school um, auditorium. And I was like, where have I, where have I landed? Well, are you serious? Yeah. Um, so back then they had, you know, when you're in high school, you had a smoking area, a dipping area. Hmm. They'd have um, skeet competitions a couple of times a year. So they invited you to bring your gun to school. Um, and it was just, it was totally interesting. Well, I went to, I'm, I'm 37. When I was in high school, we had, um, um, I forget what the name of the class was, uh, but you had to give like a presentation on something. I think a speech class and mm-hmm. you had to do a presentation and demonstrate something. And one kid brought a gun to school and showed you how to, um, clean it, you know, and that wasn't that long ago. That was about in year 2000. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but we live in a different time. Yep. Wow, that's crazy. What 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 are some other strange things that were happening? This is interesting. Um, down it was just just totally, just totally different. You yeah. know, I'm used to going to the beach and surfing and yeah. every day and or on the weekends and you know lots of people and you know I think our closest neighbor was about a mile away, so it was very it was. Somewhat traumatizing, I guess. Did you get, um, how was it making friends? I was good, you know. It, um, yeah, I made, I made friends pretty easily. Um, I didn't get along with, you know, the, so much the hunters and the, and the dippers and that kind of stuff, but I got along, you know, I found my click. Yeah. Inter- and did you get into caving? Nope. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so needless to say, I went to my high school graduation with everything I owned in the back of my car, and I went back to Florida. Oh, wow. Yeah. You were ready to leave. Ready to go. Yeah, so then what made you come back to Chattanooga after um, the Cayman, not the Cayman Islands, but St. Thomas and the Caribbean life? Uh, the school? School, finished school, mm-hmm. yep. Um, so when I went down to, interesting story, so I worked at McDonald's in Trenton. Mm-hmm. And then um, I got a job at the McDonald's in Cocoa Beach. Mm. Um, and I was back there cooking. And somebody said, hey, look, there's Kelly Slater. And I was like, who's Kelly Slater? I was like, I've been, you know, I've been in Georgia for a while, so I really didn't follow surfing as much as I was. So I was like, he's, he's a badass surfer. And I was like, he's like 15 years old at that time. So so Kelly would come in every just about every other day, you know, after he surfed and grabbed his his stuff and uh get something to eat and then um 
when I got into DJing, um, the resort that I was at is in Melbourne. So they had a surf competition a couple of times a year, once or twice a year. So I got to, you know, they always asked me to help MC and, and run the surf competition. So I got to see Kelly and some of the other famous surfers there. And, um, so did, did you get to meet him? Yeah, I met him. I mean, when he come in for breakfast, I'd be working in the register or whatever. It was like, well, you want you sausage biscuit and milk or whatever, you know? Yeah, he'd have a usual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was, it was cool. Um, That's a good time of my life. And then I had a, when I was down there, my, my, my aunt had a job at Kennedy Space Center. So um, she's like, Mark, we got a courier job open. She's like, you want to apply for it? And I was like, yeah, I think I'd like that. So, um, got the position, had to go through some security stuff, um, because I'd be hauling classified documents all over, all over Kennedy space center. Um, so I guess they would call that an email now. (laughs) Um, you got replaced, (laughs) got replaced. Um, so it was cool because you go in the cafeteria and you see all the blue jumpsuits and you know those were astronauts and then you'd see the guys that were hid in the woods um, because the area out there is pretty expansive so they've got um, special forces that you know guard the area and um, you don't want to mess with those guys um, and it was just you know it was cool I had my badge I could go anywhere I wanted to on the base I could go you know I could go to launch control when they were firing off a space shuttle you know or a rocket you know um, it was fun. And then I had, they, they give you a beeper at that point. So if I had some downtime, I might, you know, surf a little bit and, you know, do a couple sets and then check my beeper to see if I need to go anywhere. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And when you go out there, um, I mean, nobody else could kind of get on those beaches. Um, but there's rocket parts everywhere from where, ro- and, and that's part of Cocoa Beach in Cape Canaveral. You walk down the beach and you'll find a rocket part, you know, you're supposed to call and somebody's going to pick it up cause you don't know if it's radioactive or what's going on with it so um so i got busted surfing and um they made me sit at a desk all day and and you know just do my usual runs and after about two months of that i got pretty (laughs) bored with it (laughs) it was a good paying job you know and it was cool but um you can't surf on the job (laughs) you're surfing on the clock um but it was it was definitely you know it was a different time of, uh, you know, the engineers would go to lunch and, you know, they'd, they'd have throw back a couple beers and, or a cocktail or whatever at lunch. And, um, and I'm like, you know, you guys are supposed to be working on the space shuttle, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not getting hammered at lunch and going back to work, you know, and then sometimes they get hammered and never go back to work, you know? And, uh, and that was before the explosion. And I was like, uh, you know, I knew something probably going to happen eventually. And, um, it was an O-ring. So actually the, well, I think small story was, so the company that I went to work for, the fortune 500 company, um, Southern fluid power sold, sold for the company that made that Mm O-ring. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, rated for that cold morning. Exactly. And I think someone resigned saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, put my stamp of approval on launch today because it's too cold. And, and they went ahead and did it anyway. And he, I think the guy quit or resigned on the spot before it, it blew up. I think that's how the story goes. So it doesn't, you know, when you get to that temperature, the, those compounds don't 
inflate like they need to to seal off. Right. They just stay brittle, and that's, I'm sure that's what happened. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, were you out of there before the explosion? I mean, yeah. you, you okay, yeah. Um, man, <laughs> where'd you go from there? Um, from there, um, Cocoa Beach. So I was in a, I was just DJing and working and being a bit of a, you know, a wild guy. And I bought a Honda Interceptor, a motorcycle, which is like a little crotch rocket. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was flying down one of the causeways about a hundred miles an hour and police officers coming the other way. And I turned around and see if he was coming back to get me and he wasn't. And then when I turned back around, I was no longer on the road. So yeah, you just turned your head to look and then, yeah, you, then I was off the road, hit an embankment and wrecked pretty bad. Um, they say I crushed the, the, uh, gas tank with my pelvis. And, um, so I was laying there on the side of the road. Um, kind of funny story. And my, my motorcycles, I don't know, 25, 30 yards down the way, somebody sees my motorcycle and they pull over and they basically run over me after I just had this major motorcycle wreck. So and they get me to the hospital. And so I had to come back to Chattanooga to get back. So I broke 14 bones. Wow. That's my last day on the motorcycle. Um, and I tell my kids if they get on one, I'm going to kill them. Well, so you came back um, so your dad could take care of you mm -hmm. during the healing process. What bones did you break? What all did you break? And leg arm like shattered my pelvis in a bunch of places um maybe some foot bones nothing too terribly bad um was any bones sticking out no it's all internal yeah you got any metal in you they patch you back together i had one with uh, my hip yeah richardson screw in my hip um that was probably the worst bone to break so how long were you um out for how long did this, tell me about the healing process. And so I was in a kind of a body cast at that point, um, for, I don't know, six, eight weeks, um, from above my knee to below my chest. Um, so in a body cast that, that can't come off. Correct. So how do you pee and poop? It, they, they cut out that part of it. There's a little hole. Uh -huh. Wow. Um, well you can't sit you can't flex is it is it no, in sitting flex. position or is it standing position the body cast it's uh oh it's in a, a laying position laying mm -hmm. so you're laying down all day yeah you're laying down all day and just kind of like swivel off the bed to get up yeah and, um what, you, what did you do to pass the time just watch tv and read um but it's good so i was back in chattanooga and helped my dad with him my dad with his business and Got back into school and started DJing up here. Um, did you think after that crash, did you think life's pretty fragile? It can take you out at any time? Did you have a mental shift or? I kind of, um, I learned that from my mom, I guess, when she passed when I was young. Mm. So it kind of taught me that. You already knew that. You, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So you might as well. And that's the way I've lived for sure. <laughs> yeah. Is that, I mean, yeah, you've had a crazy life. Is that why you're like, yeah, I'll go surfing on the clock. I can probably squeeze it in. <laughs> is that why you're well, it's this... better than sitting around? At least I'm being active. Oh, know? I'll take over this murdered DJ's position. <laughs> St. Thomas. I got Mr. T to look after yeah, me. He did. I mean, one he got so mad at me one time. That's one of the taxi drivers. Um, 
took my girlfriend at the time home and she was a little drunk and he tried to take advantage of her. So Sonny had a rule that I didn't, you know, you don't leave the club unless you're going home and you've got some people around you. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting there on during my break and I see this little SOB out in the, out in the parking lot in his cab. And I go out there and I'm run out and I grab him by the head and I'm pulling him out of this taxi cab and I'm beating the hell out of him. Next thing you know, Sonny's got me around the waist and he's like, get your, you know, he's screaming at me, get your butt back in the club, you know, before you get killed. So he picked me up and, you know, I'm six, four, a couple hundred pounds. <clears throat> well, I was probably 180 back then, but, um, yeah, he got, he was so mad at me that day, but you know, great friend. Did Sonny take care of the taxi driver? No. Okay. No, I kind of took care of him. Yeah. It was he over. Looked little, he looked a little different. It was over. Yeah. Man, that's a wild life you have. It's fun. <laughs> Is it still wild? I mean, you just did a 30 day road trip <laughs> with your son. Um, I have a good time. You mm-hmm. know, that's what, you know, that's what God put us here is to, you know, don't be boring. You know, did you get married? Yeah, I got married, um, uh, last year. Last year. Uh, first wife. Second. Second. Yeah. Okay. That's good. And we went to St. Martin. We had a blast. And did you tell her all the stories? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not all the stories. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> some of those stories in St. Martin, they probably stay there. Most of, most of them, though. Most of them do, yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Um, so you're back in, okay, so let's keep this timeline going. This is mm-hmm. interesting. So you, so now you're healing up from mm-hmm. 14 Bones, um, helping your dad grow the business, mm-hmm. and, and then where does it go from there? So then I went to UTC. Okay. Well, I actually went to Chattanooga State. Mm-hmm. Um, had, was in Dr. Mackey's class, who's my councilman. Um, he's the best professor I've ever had. He was fantastic. His stories are great. Um, and then, uh, it was cool that Dr. Catanzaro, who's president of Chattanooga state, I think he just came from California. He was pretty new. So we play two man volleyball, um, after school, um, at, at Chat state, which was, which was just pretty cool. Um, and then I went to UTC, um, got my, uh, degree in business um and like i said i got some offers to go to mba but decided to hang around here mm-hmm. i love chattanooga it's 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 awesome it yeah you don't like rising fawn but chattanooga no i don't like rising fawn but still, chattanooga i dig it yeah it's a lot different you know when i got you know i spent some time away and then i came back and it was it's started to change and yeah you know, started getting into you know i'd given up crotch rockets so i picked up mountain biking um back then there was you had Harrison Bay. You had five points before it was closed down. You had Clemmer, and I think that was it. For official trails, there's probably oh, and then I used to I used to go over to the um, battlefield and yeah, and ride those trails all the time mm-hmm. um, illegally. But it was close to work and quick to get to, and yeah. they're pretty cool. Yeah, you're not afraid of uh, a little law bending. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been to jail? Uh, yeah. Do you want to, I kind of put you on the spot. So. Just an intuition I had. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I was dating a girl in Florida and I was back up here and I, you know, I really missed her and it was like my 21st birthday, I think. So I had a Trans Am with T-tops, you know, and, uh, um, so my friends, I was working at Bennigan's or somewhere and they took me out drinking for my 21st birthday and I was, you know, I had too many. So I went in there and I grabbed the chest of drawers out of my bedroom and threw them in the back of the Trans Am and I was headed to Florida, you know. 
so I made it to about making till I got pulled over and, you know, threw me in jail. And that was, that was really, you know, really eye opening getting thrown in jail. So I was in a jail cell. So what's your name? And they called me killer. I was like, well, <laughs> evidently he was in there for going door to door shooting people. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, can I have your sauce? She's like, sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. So that was the last time I was in jail. That's good. Yeah. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. A lot yeah. worse. Yeah, that's back in they did you lose your license at all or uh no. It yeah. was uh George has something where they give you like one back yeah. then. Yeah, it wasn't as strict. Okay. Now you've also should we talk about L two? You started L two? We could talk about L two or we could talk about Southern Fluid Power stuff. Which which one do you want to go? Uh you pick. Um, what's, but, well, let's do both. Okay. But, uh, start with whatever one. Um, Cause was that next in the, in the timeline is Southern fluid? They're kind of congruent. Okay. I'll do Southern fluid power and I'll do L2. Okay. So Southern fluid power. I mean, it, it's, I had an opportunity to work with a lot of cool, cool things. Um, one really cool place that I got to work with is Arnold air force base in Tullahoma. And it's like the world's largest wind tunnel. Um, and they told me that they used the world supply of stainless steel um, for two years to build this place. Um, so they test F-22 engines. They test all kinds of new designs of aircraft. Um, they, one of the engineers showed me some test cells that they brought over from Germany when after World War II. And they said, Mark, you know what? If we didn't land that bomb and finish that war, said we'd be speaking German right now because they their technology was so much more advanced than ours was. Um, and uh, so one of the coolest projects I got to work on was a, a Mach 4 test cell. Um, they were testing the, the vehicle that would skip across the atmosphere um, and then come down into atmosphere. Um, so the first time we fired that up... Um, as molecules go from being under pressure to expanding, it generates heat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we were going from like 4,000 PSI down to nothing um, to get that velocity up, speed up to test the article. And, um, and it caught some woods on fire about 100 yards away. So, <laughs> so they stopped the test and they built a blast shield so it would blast the... the the thing up there so yeah it was it was really that was it's cool going there um it was it was good um you know i used to go to the alston plant um mm-hmm. the, the blue one that place was great because they had all these huge machines and they asked us they have the the test engine um i mean the test cells where they spin the turbines up to eight thousand rpm or whatever and there's pr- pretty big mass to those things so i was like well what's this test chamber this looks pretty thick he said yeah this is 23 feet of reinforced concrete and a big steel door that we were designing the thing to shut the door and i said huh and he said you know what this wall of concrete was designed to slow it down (laughs) 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 but not designed to stop it (laughs) so it became unstable yeah um so that that was a cool project but another one um also worked with um um, ABS, uh, Chattanooga used to have a electric bus company 
They manufactured electric buses. And they ran around downtown for a long time. I mean, they racked up like two, three million miles on those electric buses. It's not the same electric ones we have now? Not, no. I guess they got them from somewhere else, but everybody was starting to get into electric buses. Yeah. Um, so th- that was really cool. I helped them design the, the kneeling systems, the fuel systems, the brake systems, um, all kinds of stuff. But one of their models had a turbine in the back that worked off CNG or LNG or one of those. And, uh, and I was like, how fast is that turbine going? And he goes, mm, about 7,000 RPM. And I'm like, oh, so what happens when you get rear-ended? I mean, is that thing just going to, I mean, it just had that, you know, bus panel to stop it, you know? I was like, that can't be safe, you know? But anyway, um, you know, New York ordered a bunch of buses and then didn't accept them and it ran them out of business. So that was tragic. Why didn't they accept them, New York? New York is really tough on on buses, I guess, as far as making sure that they have, you know, they probably have a, a compliance book that's four inches thick. And if you don't comply to every little nook and cranny and, you know, they're a new bus company, they didn't have the, you know, the funds to, to give away 10 buses, you know? Yeah. So that's a shame. It was a cool company. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think, you know, uh, um, who else did I work with? You know, worked with Aztec underground, helping them design a bunch of, uh, equipment up there, some geo, thermal drilling rigs and, and got to work with Komatsu um, design of their D-51 bulldozer that they make in Brazil. The guys over here um, designed that. Uh, and then working with Alcoa is, is super cool because um, do you know the difference between uh, the color of hot aluminum and cold aluminum? Uh, it's probably the same. It is the same. <laughs> <laughs> and you found that out <laughs> the hard way. So when you're walking around the plant, you're like, you don't know if that's going to be cold or it's going to be 1800 degrees. So, you know, and then, uh, and we were driving around, there's spilt aluminum all over the f- place. So you don't know if you're going to pop a tire or, um, or, or what. So, um, so it's cool. They, they have a, what they call a reversing mill there that, that um, they take a big ingot that's like four feet by six feet by 30 feet of hot aluminum. And then they smash it down probably four or five inches with a 15,000 horsepower motor. Um, and then they reverse it and they bring it down and smash it again and smash it again and smash it again until it's like uh, maybe an inch thick. Um, and then it goes into what they call a hot mill. Um, they smash it when it's cold. No, they, they no, heat they it heat up, it up they to 1,300. 1,300 or 1,800, yeah, and then I forget. Smash it. Okay. And then they smash it, and then it goes to the hot mill, and um, they get it down to about um, maybe a quarter of an inch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes to the continuous cold mill, which is a really – it's the only one in the world that's very cool. Um, if you see that big tower at Arconic in, in, at Alcoa, um, it, it feeds into the cold mill, and it, it turns it into – um, beer can material. That's what they make there. Um, and they can control the thickness to like a millionth of an inch, which I find amazing. Um, so they run that aluminum up in that big tower while they change rolls. So it's a nonstop process. Um, and just to watch it and all the hydraulics and all that stuff. And then on the other plant, they do the, uh, a can wreck. So they take all the aluminum cans, take the paint off of them, melt them down and, and make aluminum. But when I first started calling on them, they, their power requirement, they had two um, big hydroelectric 
dams up in the Smoky Mountains, um, and then they got power from TVA. And they said that that plant used in like a day what the city of Knoxville would use in a year. Wow. Yeah. Um, and they had their own two dams? Yeah, their own two dams to, to power that facility. Plus they were getting Plus yeah, power from TVA. Yeah. Um, but when they were, because they used to have a pot room there that would melt all the aluminum, make it from scratch. Um, but there's enough aluminum now that they don't, they yes. recycle everything basically. Or they get it from Norway where they're using water from the glaciers or whatever that's melting um, to make it free power. How do, how do you do that? They use, there's a way to get energy out of melting ice? Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how they do it, but that's the reason they have those facilities up there. Okay. That's what I was told. That's interesting. There, I guess there is a lot of energy stored in that ice. Yeah. Huh. Or just the flow or I'm, Yeah, I'm exactly. Sure. There's a lot of weight going downhill. Yeah. So Southern Fluid Power was very cool. Um, I really enjoyed my experience. And it sounds pretty seeing, fun. Oh, and I get to deal with Volkswagen too, all the robots and paint department. So funny, funny story was <clears throat> one of my customers called me up and he's like, Mark, I'm up for the um, head training position for all the new mechanics that are coming in um, over the fluid power department. And he's like, can you help me get this job? And I was like, okay, sure. Come by my office. And we spent like three or four days, you know, teaching them all this stuff about fluid power and, and, and then he got the job. So, you know, he brought me in He's like, you know, can you do some of the more technical presentations and stuff? And I was like, sure, you know, no problem. Um, so I, I've done, probably 50 or 60 classes out at Volkswagen for their technicians and stuff. Um, and what the cool part about it was is since I was there in there first, when they started uncrating all the boxes of all the machines and lines that were going to be in there, I was in there writing down all these manufacturers that I've never heard of before from Germany. And I go into the offices like, Hey, do you need a distributor in Chattanooga, Tennessee? And they're like, Yes. <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> so we did that and we got to be a distributor for some German companies and, and service them. So, um, and those guys are great. I really enjoyed working out there. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a language barrier? With- oh yeah. All the time I'd get like, you know, I've been so many meetings, um, during line builds or when they're doing the Atlas or whatever, and they'd have all the German people come over to build the lines and stuff. And, you know, um, my buddy Willie Rob, he would he would like okay, you get with those guys. So I get over there and it's like okay, anybody speak English? Nope. <laughs> so I get my Google Translate out and they'd write it down. I type it in my Google Translate and I was like, oh okay, that's a that's brass. It's like okay, and then oh that's a union or you know or whatever. So we you know or he'd show me a picture. So um, yeah, they never you know we would always just slap each other on the back and laugh and we didn't understand what either of us were talking about but we got it done yeah that's good you didn't even have to use a translator just uh you know just google, google translate. translate yeah my friend nick who lives in town he's a engineer and he speaks german you would have been helpful maybe on <laughs> <laughs> that yeah that's cool uh, but yeah it wasn't a problem at all uh, do you miss it since you sold your i mean you're speaking really uh, it seems like you really enjoyed your time doing that job. Yeah, I did, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying my time now. Yeah. Um, seeing new things and hanging out with my boy and, uh, you know, hanging out with my youngest son and it's good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I plan on traveling a lot too, because before this COVID thing hit, I was, you know, I was trying to get an apartment in South France and do some cycling over there. Um, spend a few weeks or month or whatever over there. And, um, but since this hit, I've just kind of, we decided to 
run around in the van and see the national parks. I think a lot of people are doing that. Prices of vans are not cheap right now. They're all getting bought up. Mm-hmm. Bikes are getting bought up. Anything outside is, you know, oh yeah, hard to get right now. Have you traveled in Europe much? I've been to eleven countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I went there on my honeymoon from with when I first got married. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've been to Amsterdam, Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Italy, France, England. Uh, it was funny when we we got over there right when the channel opened up, um, and I told my my new wife I was like we're going underneath the Atlantic Ocean or the English Channel. She's like, oh no, we're not. <laughs> it's like yeah, this train will go under and it'll pop back up in in England. It's like whatever. And then the announcer comes on. is like we we're about to enter the English, you know, the Channel or whatever. And and uh, she's like, oh, I guess you're right. Like, yeah. Um, so we did that and. Belgium, I think we went to, and yeah, it was good. Yeah, I like Europe. the The cycling culture over there is nice. I would like to cycle. I like cycling, and I I would like to cycle over there. I think it'd be, um, I think the people are more aware of bikes on the road. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I want to go over there and see the Perry Roubaix. It's like my favorite cycling race. Uh, what's that one? I haven't heard of that. Um, so it's just like one of the classics. Um, it's on. It's for big guys. Um, you know, usually the larger um, people, stronger riders win it. It's over cobblestones. There's like 22 sections of cobblestones from, um, and then it ends in a velodrome. Um, but you should watch it sometime. It's it's a great race. So do you race yourself? I used to. I used to race for East Ridge. Oh, cool. Um, long, long time ago. Many pounds ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were the races like, racing for East Ridge? They were good. I was always off the back. I mean, um, but on the flats, you know, I would pull people um, pretty well. They liked getting behind me and riding because they wouldn't have to pedal very much. Yeah. Um, but it was good, you know, and I mountain biked. Oh, I mean, another good thing about working with Southern Fluid Power was um, um, I'd met David Linsky, who owns Linsky Cycles. Um, I bought a frame from him when I started getting into mountain biking. And, uh, we became friends, and then when I got into this fluid power stuff, he'd call me up, and he's like, hey, Mark, I'm trying to build something to do this. And he's like, okay, I'll be right over. So we'd get over there, and, you know, we'd figure out a way to bend a tube a certain way or, um, you know, make a new frame or do some fatigue testing or, or whatever. So Dave and I have been, been friends for 30 years. He's a real good guy. Yeah, I, I don't know who he is. So he started Lightspeed Titanium <sighs> Cycles. Yeah, and also Quantavru or... No, they're well, different. What well, he he started Lightspeed. His his family um, made titanium parts for the carpet industry mm. and um, to make the machines lighter. Um, and then he was in a car wreck or something, or not, not a bicycle wreck. He got hit by a car and messed up his knee, so he wasn't couldn't cycle that much anymore. Um, so a friend of his asked him to make a titanium bicycle, so he did, and then he made another one. <laughs> and so when he was 36 or 37, um, a big company came in, wanted to buy him. Um, and the number was, I guess, where he wanted it to be. And so he sold and, you know, he did a non-compete um, for about five years. And 
then he opened up, I don't know, maybe longer than five years. But then he started Linsky Cycles over off of uh, kind of near Bonnie Oaks. Okay. So he makes titanium mountain bikes, road bikes, and sells them all over the world. What's the advantage of titanium over carbon? Or what are the differences when it comes to bike frames? Unfortunately, um, carbon breaks down. I mean, it's, you know, if it, you expose it to a lot of heat, it, the, the, it, 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 you know, it, it does break down and titanium, it'll, it's going to be here when we're all gone, you know, it's, it's going to be there. So, you know, I had a mountain bike that, it, I mean, it, I loved it. I rode it all over the country and, um, and I had it for like 20 years. It was titanium and never had any problem. I just had to replace components until I ran into a car wash and I snapped the head tube. And I called up David. I was about crying. <laughs> David, I just broke my bike. Bring it over here. We'll fix it. So he just cut off a little bit of the head tube and re-welded it. And I mean, it changed the rake angle a little bit on it, but uh, it's good to go. Um, how'd you run into a car wash? Stupid. <laughs> it was on top of my car, and I pulled. It in the car oh, wash. that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I thought you were okay. Yeah, it was one of the old car washes with the cement and the spray guns and that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah, that's classic move. Yeah. I think a lot of people have that same story, but with their garages at home or yeah, yeah, McDonald's exactly. drive-thru or something. Yep. Yeah. So what what kind of bike do you ride right now? I've got no. two Linskys. I've got a, my road bike's a Helix, and uh, Ridgeland is my mountain bike. So they're both titanium. Mm-hmm. Are they fairly light? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And does your son also have a, a Linsky? No, well, I bought him one for his graduation, a road bike. And uh, he recently sold it like uh, four weeks ago for something else that he really likes. It's a lot lighter. I mean, it's like a carbon bike and it's like three pounds lighter. So it broke my heart. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. The carbon seems lighter than mm-hmm. titanium, but I guess it breaks down. Well, I mean, they had, it came out with a, I mean, they had to be real picky who they sold them to, but you, well, I don't know if you know this or not, but um, Lance Armstrong, well, when Lance Armstrong got the first tour to France, he was riding a light speed with Trek stickers on it. So the first bike that, that and I don't know how much you know about cycling, but the first bike went, because Bobby Julek was more famous then, and Lance just came off of cancer. So Bobby Julek got the first light speed titanium bike. Um, and Lance was kind of, you know, pissed or whatever, but, um, but then, you know, Lance got a titanium bike from, from light speed and, um, with the Trek stickers on it. Cause Trek didn't know anything about making high end bikes. So, I mean, one of their frames, they got down to like 2.7 pounds. Um, I think they'd only sell it to people like they were like 170 or 165 and below. Yeah. Cause there's not enough metal there to, um, so yeah, he made, I think he made, I'm not sure how long he made Lance's bikes, but he, he made them for a while. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It's good seeing a Chattanooga company, you know, making Tour de France bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know the history of the, the Quantaroo? That's it's, just a, um. Am, am I pronouncing that correct? Quintana Roo? Quintana Roo. Okay. Yeah. It's a place in Mexico, right? Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I don't, I know they just bought that brand from somebody. It was a, it was a tri brand that, mm-hmm. that um they thought would be good with their mix so i think it was that company that bought Lightspeed. they incorporated that and a couple of, like merlin and a, other, a couple other bike brands um and brought them to chattanooga and then the same building it looks like is Lightspeed or share the same office on amicola yeah they used to be out in Udawa okay for forever 
Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then they have that, yeah, like, um, and they just bring the brands in there and build them up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do they make them right here in Chattanooga? I think Lightspeed, they build them up. Build them up. They so you get the frames offshore. Taiwan or something. Uh, and then build them up. And then uh, the ones for Linsky, they make all those here. Um, he's asked me several times to figure out a robot that can weld um, that his frames together so he could be more automated. And it's just too many different fixtures or too many different sizes and shapes and stuff. So it's almost impossible to, to automate, unfortunately. Too many jigs that you need mm-hmm. to be changed out automatically that your robot can weld on. Yep. It makes sense. Too many different sizes. Too many, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's um, a little bit of, of the problem with carbon is you have to make your molds and then mm-hmm, you can't. Exactly. You don't really want to retool your mold. You want to do like a run of four years or something. It's hard to make adjustments on your. You can't make adjustments on your mold. You need mold. But with working with metal, you can. Um, it seems like you can switch it out. Switch it out. Next year's model can be tweaked a little bit. Yeah, I heard Greg Lamont was doing some carbon fiber stuff up at Oak Ridge. Um, some people have seen him around Knoxville and there's some, been some rumblings, but we'll see. Do you do mountain bike races? I used to, um, yeah, I used to ride. There's a series in Georgia and Tennessee. So I, I did those. So I've been mountain biking a while. You bike camp. What's that? Um, bike packing. Oh I yeah. I think yeah. it's like uh, the trendy I, I, I've word. I've got them. Yeah. I've got the panniers and I got the rack and everything and yeah. I'm, you know, I like to go up to Big South Fork or somewhere and do it, or mm-hmm. um, or may just do it in Europe. Um, they used to call it touring, yeah, but they had to change it to bike packing. It yeah, sounds cooler. Um, but I plan on doing that for sure. Yeah, that's fun. I've I've done a couple. That's really fun. Yeah. So where? What about L two? So L two. Um. So I was, you know, paddling down in the, uh, in the Panhandle. Um. I'd seen paddle boarding and I tried it out and, you know, I fell in love with it. I rented a board and, you know, I rented it the next day and I was like, man, this is a lot of fun, man. I'm just having a blast. You can kind of surf on it. You can go around. I was like, this would be great. So one of the board brands is called YOLO. And one of the, one of the guys that worked there, he's like, man, I love this paddle boarding. He said, he said, I wish I could do it in Chattanooga. He said, do you have any water up there? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, we do have some water up there. I said, give me one of those paddle boards. I'm going to take it back to Chattanooga. So I bought one of those big old paddle boards and, you know, and I started going around the island, you know, and getting in the river and taking it places and loving it. And everybody's like, hey, what the, what the heck is that? And I was like, were you the first one, do you think? No, Michael Phillips was the first one. Okay. Um, he was a board rep here in town. Um, but, um, but he didn't want to do the rental stuff and all that other stuff. So then I was, you know, I was running downtown and I found the spot on the corner of first and market where it started. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And I went down to the, to the dock and I was like, you know, we could put in right here. And I talked to the Harbor master or dock master. And I was like, Hey man, do you mind if we just put in a paddleboard or two? If you know, I'm going to open up business up here. It's like, ah, go ahead. Um, wish I could have got something in writing about that. But anyway. uh, <laughs> Is that what happened? They, t- they uh, shut you down. No, no, they, um, no, they they didn't. They were just giving us a little bit of trouble from time to time about stuff. Um, you know, the city or you know whatever Burke or whoever, um, they were real good about 
asking us to be in their TV commercials um, to come to Chattanooga. But as far as being like working with us and being nice about stuff, they so much they weren't. So, um, so they kept moving us around and stuff. But you know, um, but yeah, L two was was great. You know, I had to, you know, I wanted to be the paddleboard guy in town, and and then you know, kind of Rock Creek got into it as well. Um, but so. So the you know there's a ten time paddleboard champion named Jamie Mitchell and he's won that M to O which is Molokai to Oahu race it's like a 31 mile open water race um, and he was doing a clinic over in North Carolina it's like I'm gonna go learn for the best so I went over there and hung out with Jamie for for a day and learned how to paddleboard and then um, Candace Appleby who was the women's world champion she was given a clinic so I went over there and learned from her and um, started doing some some paddling and got L2 going. And, you know, the first year, like, mark your sales are, they, they kind of suck. I don't know if we're going to let you sell you boards next year. I'm like, dude, I'm in the middle of the country. And it's like, I'm the first paddleboard shop inland. Okay. Nobody else is doing this yet. And they're like, okay, we'll give you another year. And then the second year just went, boom, blew up. And then I had other people calling. It's like, you know, I had a lady from Chicago come by. It's like, yeah, hey, can I do this in Chicago? She's like, sure. You know, and pretty soon people were calling me from Nashville and Knoxville. And they're like, hey, can we do this there? I'm like, yeah, you know, I give them insurance information and and uh, that kind of stuff. And I also started the Southern Stoke series, which is the race series in the Southeast. Me and a guy from Knoxville, Kenny Reed, um, got that going. So there's paddleboard races all around the country. Or not all around, around the Southeast. Um, they were pretty cool. I remember one time we had one at the, uh, this is a good story, uh, at the Okoe, um, and I was meeting with the guys at High Country up there because we were going to have a party there after the paddleboard race. So we were having lunch, and he's like, you know, one time after a Vanderbilt football game, um, the Vanderbilt kids, you know, they came up and they were drunk, and they started killing the neighbor's chickens and roosters next door. And I was like, what? It's like, that's crazy. He's like, yeah, we had to get our rafting buses. We had to load up all these Vanderbilt kids and take them to Polk County Jail. I was like, man, that's kind of odd. Yeah. So, you know, we have the paddleboard race. I get Molele Roots up there. We have a big party and there's moonshine flowing. We're having a great time. We're dancing. Get to bed about one or two o'clock in the morning. And as soon as that sun came up, those chickens and roosters were going, and they were right next to our tent. And we were like, we just get asleep and then the rooster would go off again. And I was like, ah. <laughs> now I know. Now I know. Because <laughs> I wanted to kill those chickens and roosters right then. <laughs> But you rest- you restrained yourself. Uh, yeah, I restrained myself. Yeah. I don't want to go to Polk County Jail. That's one jail you don't want to go to. No, you already had your turn. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so we did. I mean, we probably put out waivers. We probably trained or let, you know, probably 8,000 people over. I owned it for five years. Um, so we probably put 8,000 people on the water over those five years. Trained to teach them how to paddleboard. When did you sell it? Um, I, st- I had L2 and I was trying to start a, you know, the, had a bar and restaurant where people could eat after they get done paddleboard and that kind of stuff. And that was still when it was on the aquarium side. Yeah. On the yeah. aquarium side. And then, um, and then my fiance at the time got breast cancer. Mm. Um, and I had, you know, I had young kids, my partners in Southern food power or one of them was kind of like, mm, you know, you, you're spending a lot of time, you know, doing stuff. And so. I was like, well, I'm just, I just need to sell. So I just need to sell it to Dirk and Seth. And they bought it, um, stayed there for a little bit and then moved over to the other side of the river. 
Yeah. I have uh, two um, L2 paddle boards in my garage right now. Oh, good. Yeah, I love them. I have the inflatable ones. Good. Yeah. So where do you like to go? Well, to the island. You know, every Wednesday there's a group of guys that go out to the um, island. It just ended with uh, daylight savings time. They have mm-hmm. the winter off. I like to do that. Um, I, I recently, it was uh, um, one of the weekends, I did the whole uh, Nickajack, I mean, Chickama to Nickajack mm-hmm. Gorge camping Good. with my girlfriend. Um, so was that 20 miles? I think it's like 45, I think. From Chickamauga to um, Nickajack Dam, Dam to Dam. Oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah it's Dam to Dam. Yeah, yeah, yeah we camp, we camp two nights on an inflatable. Oh, how many uh, days? Three days. Okay. All well, right. well, because Randy does it in a day. <laughs> well, I know Randy. Jeez, we should talk about Randy. That guy's a freak. Um, no, my my girlfriend, she had an inflatable, and I actually had a Hobie pedal kayak. Okay. And so you put the gear on there and stuff. Yeah, I was the you know the mule. And she paddled. Um, she paddled until day three when she lost the paddle. And that was sad because there's a Warner carbon fiber and it's gone now. How did she lose it? And we were just... Uh, Y'all still boyfriend and girlfriend? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, and it was a test. <laughs> and it was you learn something on this podcast? Yeah, and it was, a, <laughs> it was a test too because now she had no paddle. And um, this is a testament to the Hobie kayaking torque and six, abilities. Six. I just strapped her... Not even behind, just to the side, uh-huh. kind of, you know, three like on the in the yeah, quarter like panel. Sidecar. Yeah, and uh, I just pedaled all the way back to Shell Mound Campground, and uh, it didn't even affect my speed. It was those things go about four miles an hour, loaded or unloaded, doesn't really Good. matter. So, yeah, that's pretty fun. Good. Yeah, um, yeah. Randy just recently he turned sixty, mm-hmm. and he recently did his. Paddle cross Tennessee. Do you want to tell us about that? So, I mean, from time to, I mean, I got Randy into paddle, paddling. Yeah. Um, I taught him how to paddle. And, and this is Randy you know, Horton. You're Randy Horton from Wild Trails. Wild Trails, yeah. Um, so he usually paddles across the state. And I try to, you know, like one day at, at least once. Well, it's usually one day. I'll meet him in Knoxville or Oak Ridge and I'll set up camp for him and, um, and cook him dinner and we'll have some beers and then he'll continue on paddling. But it was funny one time we were having, he got to Calhoun's early. The flow rate was really high and I, I was like getting there and he'd had a big beer and, you know, hadn't had much to eat that day, I guess. So we had a couple <laughs> more beers and, and he's like, Mark, I want to, you know, it's getting kind of dark. I want to paddle another six miles for, before we turn in. I was like, okay, well I'll just set up camp and, uh, six miles take him about an hour and 15 minutes. And, um, so hour and 30 minutes goes by. Where Randy's at? Hour and forty-five. Two hours go by. I call him. Why well, he had a spot? So I was looking at him on the spot, and he was like going over here, you know, going back over here, over here, you know. I was like, is he? Is he had a little too many beers? <laughs> <laughs> so then I tried to call him, and his phone died or whatever. So then I started honking my horn and blowing my light so so he could see me, and and then and then we got him in and got him dinner and got him to bed. <laughs> Was it dark? Oh yeah, it was been, yeah, been dark it was for a while. Just bouncing off shorelines, yeah. looking for something. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, th- this year he did. He hiked the entire Cumberland Trail, mm-hmm. and then did all of the Tennessee section of the Tennessee River. And I tried to get up there, but loop. he was going too fast this year. He's like a day faster than he usually is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's a stud. Yeah, I think he did it in 19 days that whole project, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah. 
It was funny one time we had the, there was a paddleboard race and a kayak race up in Knoxville. It was a 50 miler. Um, and I signed up for it. I had a paddleboard category. This is before Chattajack. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get there and there's just one other guy there named, uh, he's from Norway. His name was Odin. It's like, so we're going to do the paddleboard section. He's like, yeah, let's go do it. You know? So we're out there paddling. We were out there. We didn't have anything. We just had a little bit of water. And they said, you can stop at marinas to get food and water and along the way. And, and you know, it's, that, that you can figure it out. I was like, okay, you know, no support whatsoever. And, uh, so we're out there paddling. We must've been paddling about seven, eight hours. And this wind comes up. So if you're on a paddleboard and you have a headwind hitting you in the face, um, it can be tough. So we, the next three hours, we averaged one mile an hour. Mm. So we were just like, Oh, look on that side of the Tennessee. It looks like there's, you know, there's no, no wind over there. So we get over there and we paddle across and, uh, Nope, there's wind over there. So, <laughs> so we kind of zigzagged for like three hours. And then, uh, I was like, Odin, I had enough. I'm like, I, I don't have any food. I, there's not any marinas we've seen. And, so I called up a friend, come got, come got me, and, and I got off. And he finished, like, he called me up at, like, 8 or 9 o'clock that morning. He said, I did, like, 32 miles, and said I had enough. So he didn't finish it either, but it was a good time. Yeah. What's um, what's going to be next in this period of your life? What are some more big adventures that you have planned coming up? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I um. I'm going to travel, you know? Um, so I met a guy in Durango who goes to South America, um, during the winter time and he's invited me to come to Cartagena and hang out. So that looks pretty cool. Or Peru, he said Peru's really cool. Um, I like to go do some, maybe some cycling over in Europe and do some more van life stuff. It's funny you mentioned Cartagena. There's a guy who recently opened up from Chattanooga who bought some property near Cartagena on a, on a river that enters that goes into what is that the um the ocean right there uh-huh. and he's setting up paddle boarding um rentals is it ted yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah yeah we used to paddle together and mm-hmm. mountain bike and stuff. it's a small town this is why it i is. love chattanooga yeah. we all know each other <laughs> yeah we all know each other it's and it's and that's why i like this podcast because we get to hear the funny stories that we yeah don't all know. Um, so we've done, you know, I've done, you know, did the Chatterjack for the first year, um, which was cool. There was only like 15 of us, I think, um, that year. Now um, that first year was 15. Now it's like world renowned. Yeah. It's, it's like it's, it's, it's waiting huge. list for, yeah. Oh, I got a good St. Thomas story. So this guy calls me from St. Thomas and he's like, Hey Mark, I'm flying in for Chatterjack for St. Thomas. It's, can I ship my board to you? And I was like, yeah. Um, so he shipped the board to L2 from St. Thomas, and then he came in, and it was uh, Chattajack number two. And uh, I met him. I was like, okay, I'll store your board, but, you know, I used to work at the greenhouse, and I want you to get me a T-shirt, and I'll store your board for free. He's like, no problem. So, you know, he gets here, gives me a T-shirt. From the from the island. Yeah, yeah from okay. the island where I used to work because yep. I didn't have any T-shirts left. And um, he uh, Chattajack number two started – it was 31 degrees um, and foggy. So Ben wouldn't let anybody start the race because it was so foggy and afraid he might get hit with a boat or something. 
So we're all standing out in the middle of the Tennessee River at 31 degrees, ready to paddleboard. And, you know, it was just, you hear people falling in, getting back up on the board. And it was, it was interesting. But that year, um, my, my son was, I think he was 14 that year. And he's, he was going to do it with me, um, which was cool. But um, so that was a good father-son bonding experience doing Chatta Jack. And, you know, towards towards the end, the last three or four miles, I had to do some dad coaching stuff. You know, we're almost there, son. <laughs> it's a long ways. <laughs> it's a long ways. Yeah. Um, so, but what, is that, it was great. Is that race around 31 miles? Is that? Yeah. What, okay. And he ended up finishing it? Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um. So it's, I remember one time the, uh, the river got really high, you know, super, super high. And Ben called me up. He's a world record holder of, you know, of different stuff, paddleboarding. And he's like, Mark, I don't think the Coast Guard is going to let me on the river because it's so high. He said, but, um, could you shuttle me, um, to, to a card at South Pittsburgh and I'm going to, I'm going to do it at night. Um, so Ben hopped on it and did it at night. You did the, the Chattajack at Chattajack night? at night. Uh, what, um... Why do you go to South Pittsburgh? I'm confused with the geography. Or here. wherever the where was wherever the takeout is, Hailtown or whatever. Oh yeah, Hailtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um I said, Ben, just text me when you're done so I know you're all right. Yeah. And, and uh Did he beat his time? Oh yeah, you can Yeah, because it's so fast. It's so smoking. much water. I mean we did one time me and Randy and Terry from Outdoor Chattanooga and Bethany, my shop manager, it was flowing super high. It's like it's usually on a we wouldn't usually put anybody out on the water. And it was like 45,000 cubic feet per second or 50,000 because it was just flowing too much, you know. Um, and it was rowing like 210 cubic feet per second. It was just flying. So we hopped out there on the river and we were doing like 10 miles an hour. We could have done Chattajack in like, you know, three hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, no problem. You know, it usually takes like five to six hours to do. Do they? So um, when they run the race, do they ever cancel it because it flows too high? Or postpone it or anything? Or do they- I don't think a race. I think maybe just like rentals. You know, you get people out yeah. there that can't. I mean, they're just they're going to be going down the river if they can't. That that, that had headway. to have that had to have happened. Do you have any stories where you had to save uh, people that rented and they couldn't get back to shore? Well, I'm down by Mox and Ben. You picking up bodies? Some no, no, I haven't done that. But um, but some people just that aren't active. And, you know, they don't take care of themselves. They think, oh, sure, I can paddleboard. And, but they can't, you know, it's, you know, you have to get up from your knees to stand up and you're, you know, you're quite large. You're not going to be able to do that. So it, sometimes it took, you know, two or three guys to make sure that they were good. And then maybe we just give them their money back. Um, but, you know, I had, you know, I had a couple guys rent the first time and they were gone. And I was like, is that group not back yet? No. So I went up on the bridges. I was trying to find them. I was like, where the, I mean, where in the heck could they be? You know? And, uh, then like five, six hours later to come rolling in, you know, they were a little tipsy. <laughs> they went up to the boathouse, hopped out, had some beers, had some lunch, went over here, had some beers, you know, came back and I mean, it was all good, but you know, um, they just didn't let you know how long they were taking. Yeah. 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 But they could paddle. They got back. Yeah. It was all good. Mm-hmm. Um, no, most everything went, went good. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. You, you never had anyone lose a board or like didn't put a leash on and it got separated or any, nothing. Mm-mm. Hmm. That's surprising. Yeah. But, <laughs> but they didn't. We were just, you know, pretty good. That's cool. Um, and then, you know, we brought in, uh, 
one of the guys I first hired because we, we had skateboards too, longboards. Um, and I hired Evan Orlanity. He started the longboard community in Chattanooga, the Chat Rats. Um, and I always thought it was cool. You know, they could have their longboards and they could skate around UTC from class to class, you know. So we had longboards for maybe a year, maybe two years. And they come in and it's like, hey, Mark, look what we did last night. I was like, what? We went down Lookout Mountain. <laughs> I was like, what? What do you mean? Now we longboarded down Lookout Mountain. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to kill these kids, <laughs> you know, selling longboards. But sure enough, you go to YouTube and there's some, they're flying down Lookout Mountain on a longboard. I have to look this up. Do you yeah. remember, do you remember when um, longboarding was part of the X Games? Uh-uh. Way back in the day when X Games was just starting. And I, wish i could remember the famous longboarder i'm forgetting his name right now but yeah they would they would just have courses set up and And it's um, crazy and with hay bales and and they'd all wear leather suits like you know pretty much like crotch rocket motorcycle Mm -hmm. racing suits and helmets forget the guy's name i can't remember lizard but they can hit like 78 miles an hour and and just you know you hear the the wind going it's just like ah, it's crazy was it ox highway they were going down would be my guess yeah Mm -hmm. And then we were going to do a race on going from the Cummings Highway. Like once you get up Cummings Highway, you yeah. go up there and you go the backside down to, to Tiftonia. Yeah. Um, we were going thinking about doing a race there, but hay bales and all that insurance and all that stuff. Oh, so we, it's, it's such a crazy, uh, they don't have brakes. That's no. the thing. <laughs> you just got them little rubber wheels that they slide sideways to slow down. Did you ever try it going down a relatively fast hill on a longboard? No. Okay. No, I'm good just going my flat. Is it too close to your motorcycle that you don't ride anymore? <laughs> no, no, it's not that. I'm just, okay. I'm just a little older than I used to be. I used to, you know, I didn't mind laying it out there, but yeah. now it hurts too much when I fall. Yeah. Yeah. It does hurt when you fall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're still out there mountain biking. Yeah. You know, are you crashing much? Mm-mm. Do you ride clipped in or flats? Oh, uh, clipped in. Okay. What do you think of the Weldon Ridge project? I'm excited. Um, yeah, I'm, we need some more stuff. I mean, that if we could get something like Baker Creek, yeah, that would be amazing because that place is. It, I mean, I rode all that stuff out west, and I still. I mean, Baker Creek's one of my favorite places to go. It's just so really? flowy, and downhills are awesome. We've got different terrains. I mean, there's 60 miles of trails within 10 minutes of downtown Knoxville. Huh. Um, they've got a new uh, pump track that's awesome. Uh, so if we can get closer to the Knoxville, that'd be, that'd be good. People I don't like it. Nah, I don't have a mountain bike yet, so I don't know one. too much. Well, the garage is getting full. <laughs> the garage is getting full of toys. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah. So, and they're expensive, but yeah, they are. it'll happen. Yeah. Road bikes are so much cheaper to maintain. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, um, this has been a really fun conversation. Yeah. Do you have any other funny stories you want to add? Um, yeah, yeah, no problem. Take a break. Yeah, yeah we're going to take a little quick break. Okay, and we're back. I had to take a little biology break is what they call <laughs> that. Um, what do you got? You got a camping story for me? Yeah, um, a couple years ago, maybe three or four years ago, um, there's this really cool island in South Carolina. It's Edisto Island. It's really hard to get a camping spot there. Um, you got to book way ahead of time. Um, they've got like turtles that come in at night and stuff. Um, so I, I booked uh, a couple of days for either spring or fall break. Um, 
for the boys, and we're going to go over there and, and camp. And uh, so we're headed that way, and uh, and there's a hurricane coming. And uh, it was coming up through, like, the armpit of Florida, but it's still going to be a tropical storm by the time it hits South Carolina. Um, so growing up in Florida, I've been around hurricanes and maybe one or two in the Caribbean. And um, so my friends are calling me up. It's like, Mark, you going to get a condo? I was like, hell no. <laughs> We're going to camp. And uh, so we pull up, and there's like, you know, the thing was supposed to be sold out, and there's like two people there camping, um, one in an RV and in another camp, and, you know, tent. I'm a tent guy um, before I got the van. And um, <clears throat> so we get there, and we pitch our tents, make sure everything's nailed down. And then, you know, and then it starts coming in. And, you know, we there weren't any, like, big trees or anything. It was There were just, like, small kind of 8 to 10-foot, like, mangrove-type trees and, you know, sea grapes and that kind of thing. Um, so it was kind, kind of protected. Um, but then it started coming in. And, and then, you know, we had, like, a, our tent's about 5 feet high, I guess. And it would, like, land right on top of us when the things that come in and then it pop back up again and come down again and pop back up and so we slept through the night and you know got up and there's debris everywhere well when we got there let me back up when we got there the beach was closed so i was like the hell with that i said harlan get your paddleboard get out there because <laughs> we got some good waves coming in it's gonna be good and i got with my little guy and and i you know played with him so my son was out surfing on the closed beach and and uh having a good time and then uh so then we wake up the next morning and it's just you know trees limbs all kinds of stuff you know my son's in the eno we got like still like 40 40 to 45 mile sustained wind so the eno's just going <laughs> and we're riding our bikes around and you know seeing all the stuff that had happened and um checking out the beaches so we'd have been in that sustained wind for probably till about lunchtime it's like let's go to charleston and get some lunch so we go to charleston all the restaurants are got sandbags and they're boarded up and you know, we finally found one that it was open, you know, and had some lunch and some oysters and stuff. And then we went back and the winds died down and we had a couple more good days over at Edisto Island. So you, so you camped, tent camped through a tropical storm. Yeah. Um, and you were the only tents there? Yeah. The, everybody else was gone. We woke up in the morning. Oh, really? They, yeah. they left. The, the they, they were RV smart. guys. Yeah. <laughs> was that your um, most wild camping experience you've ever had? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, yeah. In in Florida, did you ever explore the Everglades much? <laughs> <laughs> um, not so much the Everglades, but uh, my friends, you know, I had friends that had, um, who lived on swamps, kind of, because, I mean, back then, there was a lot more water in Florida. It wasn't so developed. So you could be around, you know, like West Palm in that area and get out into the swamp pretty quick. So, you know, we'd get out in the swamp and, and run around and, you know, We'd go up around alligators and all that kind of stuff. That wasn't any, any big deal, but but we were out there one time and we saw a coral snake. Mm. And you want to talk about two boys running on top of the water? It's mm-hmm. like one of the most deadly snakes in the in the country. It um, is. So we, uh, yeah, we got the heck out of there. That was pretty cool. And I had an, I got another good paddleboard story from my son. We were in, um, we went to camp in Destin or Panama City or something. The wind was just brutal um we did like one downwinder you know where we go across the bay hop on and the wind would push us across 
Um, but we just wanted to get out of the wind. So we went and found some places in inland to paddle. So we're paddling along and, uh, I threw my paddling water and I hit a four foot alligator. He was right underneath my paddleboard and, um, and I got on my GoPro. I mean, he just like flipped over and, uh, so then my son saw that and he took off. So I had to chase him down because I had to explain to him that if he's paddling hard and his fin hits alligator, he's going to be lunch, you know? So I caught to him and was like, okay, I know you're, you know, <laughs> so let's just calm down and have a nice, easy paddle back to the car. So we did. Man, was that the only time you've ever hit an alligator? Was yeah, that's the only time I've ever hit an alligator. Did, did your heart just stop? Was it scary? Or no, just it wasn't. Like, it was I mean, just it was like, like four foot. Yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it scared him a little bit. Have you ever been swimming in an area where you saw alligators? We went to Costa Rica last year and there were some crocs mm-hmm. in some of the, uh, um, there's some rivers that hit yeah, the ocean. Like and the estuaries or estuaries, something. Estuaries, there's yeah. some crocs there. Um, and That wasn't in Tamarindo, was it? Yeah. I figured they have a sign there that says watch <laughs> for the watch for the. So you've been crocs. to Tamarindo? I've been to Tamarindo, yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I it's, took my boys down there to surf. There's a, you know, it was it was good. You didn't stay at a, blue, a hostel called Blue Trails, did you? No, I didn't. Okay, that I did a little Airbnb there. Okay. Um, but we did the volcanoes and all that kind of stuff, and uh, it was a good time. Yeah, Coach. Yeah, that's a nice place. Did you go to Club Agua? I'm sure I did. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't remember. <laughs> Yeah. Is that where they give you the free shots and you're dancing on top of the bars and I don't remember myself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, it was the one it was uh the DJ like club place, like the dance party right next to the hostel we stayed at. So I was down there for a week once. Yeah. It's a really fun place. It is a fun place. I'd recommend anybody to go to Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, right now it's like you can get a hundred and forty buck flight out of Fort Lauderdale and Airbnbs are probably thirty dollars a night right now. Mm-hmm. Have you been to any other countries in Central America? No, I plan on doing some though. Yeah, they're all good. Uh, Guatemala is fantastic. Uh, Nicaragua is amazing. Not many people go there. It's very inexpensive. Um, yeah, it's all good. Anywhere down there, Mexico. It's yeah, all, it's all good. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah. Well, um, thanks for coming on the show. Sure. This was my pleasure. I enjoyed it. And Thank I'm you. I'm glad that you're still standing in front of me. It seems like you've had a couple. Uh, you've had a life that, um, has been adventure packed and full of some danger. Yeah. And, uh, I'm glad that I got to have this conversation. And I wanted to bring up one more thing if I could, Luke. Sure. So I was in, um, Salt Lake probably seven, eight years ago and it was the summer solstice and everybody was doing something. I was like, what are you doing running? She said, well, we'd have a solstice day here. So we are active from the second we get up in the morning until the sun goes down. So I would like to maybe get with Randy mm-hmm. and bring that to Chattanooga. So where they have, I mean, they had an hour break for breakfast, an hour break for lunch, and then an hour break for dinner. But get people, whether to do whatever they want to do outside, get, you know, whether it be trail running or paddle boarding or climbing or whitewater rafting or you know, golf, volleyball, whatever, and just have a day where Chattanooga just does stuff all day long. Would do you want it during the actual the longest day of the year? Mm-hmm. Yep. June, July twenty first or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's I like that idea. Yeah. Um yeah, you should get with Randy. 
Um, yeah. How, 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 what's the way to make that happen and for people to, I guess we can just get people to sign up for the, for the, you know, maybe have a, a form that they fill out of their itinerary that day, you know, and we could get out to work Chattanooga involved and we could say, okay, um, can we have somebody here just to kind of manage people when they check in for their activity, um, and, and leave and make sure, you know, we don't have everybody going to the golf course at once or everybody playing volleyball at once or or doing whatever else we wanted to do outside at once and, and just kind of manage how people flow. And are you thinking about maybe having some guides or groups for people that don't get outside much and, you know, Hey, this solstice day, I heard about that. That's cool. But I don't have a bike or I don't know what to do. Uh, Maybe you could have a a guy. Or we could do, you know, maybe we could do a, you know, you know have different classes maybe an all-day solstice day or half-day solstice day or i mean um yeah maybe a a group of like 20 with like a guide or two uh Mm -hmm. paddleboard for the whole day you know you could do the whole as much half of the gorge or something Mm -hmm. um have paddle boards people can use and stuff like that yeah we get um sunshine involved or something yeah you know exactly um or whoever else yeah that'd be fun yeah i like Um, that yeah, I think that would be a good thing for Chattanooga. That would be good. Chattanooga, yeah, um, we have so many fun things to do outdoors, but um, not everybody takes advantage of that or even knows that it's here. So it would be nice to have some more awareness of everything you can do and and the, the marketing angle being the longest day of the year, the solstice. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'll go with Randy. We'll have a beer and figure it out. Yeah, sounds good. Yep. Um. You got anything else? I think that's it. Okay. Cool. Do you have a Instagram or anything or a YouTube channel? Or? Yeah, I got a Instagram and Facebook usually. Okay. Mark Baldwin, you can find me. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me over. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. That's Mark Baldwin, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Hope you enjoy the show, the podcast. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, Please tell your friends. Word of mouth is fantastic for having this thing grow. Or leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Or just leave five stars. Or don't do anything. Just continue listening and enjoy. And uh, we'll see you next Friday. Bye.